Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Transfer Briefing from The Athletic. It's Friday the 12th of January. I'm Tim Spears and on today's show... How has Eric Dyer ended up at Bayern Munich? I think one of the appeals of this situation is the fact that he can he could cover a range of positions. Barcelona set up El Clasico by winning in the Supercopa. I think Barca had the best games that they have made this season is against big opponents. And can Jadon Sancho resurrect his career back in Germany? It's really difficult to see a way that Jadon Sancho ever plays for Manchester United again while Eric Ten Hag is still the manager. This is the Daily Transfer Briefing with Tim Spears. Yes, two England internationals have completed loan moves to the Bundesliga. One of them could perhaps have been predicted, but the other? Surely no one saw Eric Dyer, perennial Spurs substitute this season, moving to the home of the German champions. His loan to Bayern Munich was confirmed last night. Dyer will of course link up with his friend and former Spurs teammate Harry Kane, but will he actually, you know, play football for them too? Seb Stafford Bloor, Spurs fan and German football expert, is here to speculate. Seb, first of all, fantastic move for Dyer. Yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those unique opportunities, Tim, where you have the chance to go to a big club, to be a bit part role player um, at a very high level of the game, at a, a time in Eric Dyer's career where the opportunity probably isn't going to knock again. So, yes, it's one of those. And clearly he doesn't really doesn't really have the profile to feature Ange Postecoglou's plans going forward. Well, yeah, that is true. But does he have the profile to feature in Thomas Tuchel's plans? Tim, I think one of the issues at Bayern this season has been the absence of a true number six. It's actually been a very long, very tedious conversation in the German media, the absence of the, the holding six in Tuchel's side. So I actually, whilst Eric Dyer probably won't be a full-time holding midfielder, I think one of the appeals of this situation beyond his cost and his availability is the fact that he can he could cover a range of positions, centre-back clearly, but uh, everyone remembers that he was a very important part of Maurizio Pochettino's side and he played in midfield alongside Moussa Dembele during that period. Though I can also cover as a right-back. Not sure he would really work in the Bayern system as a, as a full-back here, but uh, it's, another, it's another area he could, uh, he could contribute to. And, and actually, it's, it's quite similar to the way he used to be thought of by England. A succession of England managers picked him, not necessarily because he was an automatic starter for the country, but because he gave that utility, because he was three positions in one player. And I think that's really what's happening here, rather than a uh, a suitability based on style, really, or, or or anything like that. It's another body through the door, another another way of covering a squad, which, remember, as well as chasing Bayer Leverkusen, is actually uh, is expected to go deep into the Champions League this season. And Bayern, over the last... Well, as we know, 11 years, rarely have Bayern been in a situation where they're truly competing on two fronts. And uh, that is obviously the case this year. To last night's action now, and Barcelona are through to the Supercopa final after beating Osasuna 2-0 in Saudi Arabia. Robert Lewandowski opened the scoring for Barca in the 59th minute. Gundogan, can they click into gear? Lewandowski, oh yes! 
And then 16-year-old Lamine Yamal clinched the game with a second in stoppage time. This is Yao Felix, passes on to Yamal. Yamal takes his time, and the 16-year-old certainly puts Barcelona into the final and makes a date with Real Madrid. But it was a far from convincing performance from Xavi's team, who struggled to exert their dominance in what was a pretty drab encounter. However, they could lift their first silverware of the season if they beat Real Madrid on Sunday in a repeat of last year's final, which was also played out in Saudi Arabia. Laia Saveo covers Barca for The Athletic, and she joins us now. Yet another unconvincing performance here, Laia. Why did Barcelona continue to look so flat? I think they don't have like the best confidence in the world right now and I think uh, they are performing under their quality, all of the players, even Xavi seems like a worse manager than he actually I think uh, he is because he has all the concepts and all, all, everything that any Barca manager needs to, to be a, a manager of the first team. I was thinking that maybe something like that could happen because Barca keep struggling to win any team. Any team seems better than they actually are when they are facing Barca. So that's like a big problem for for them. So yeah, the first half was big disaster. Uh, it was super boring to to watch. The players didn't know how to you know connect with the uh, with the the other teammates. You you can tell that they feel very anxious when the ball is uh, on the two boxes. It, even if they have if they have to defend or even if they have to attack so i think they are really struggling in that two phases of the of the play and that end up with a really boring first half especially so what do you think they need to change for sunday then we know rafinha's probably out injured how can they actually beat real madrid here uh, probably having Pedri that uh, he came back it's one of the best uh, things that uh, Xavi can can take from from this this match and you never know because uh, I think Barca had the best games that they have made this season is against big opponents uh, I think they played uh, good against Real Madrid and they beat uh, Atletico de Madrid recently doing a great game so it's quite you, you can tell what is going to happen so i can imagine barca winning the game even if uh, now thinking about that is uh, is difficult to to think that that that, that can, ha- can happen and also i think probably madrid will be uh, more exhausted than barca because they had to play an extra time and uh, this is something that you have to take in, into account so maybe that uh, gives a boost of confidence for the team and maybe like that uh, they could do a great game against madrid great cheers Laia. the final is at 7 p.m on sunday and you can watch it in the states at 2 p.m eastern on espn plus you're listening to the daily transfer briefing with tim spears Now, as you'll know, the Daily Transfer Briefing is brought to you by Google Pixel, bringing fans closer to the game, and it's time for us to go beyond the frame to discover a little something you might have missed. Chelsea youngster Alfie Gilchrist made his full debut at Stamford Bridge on Saturday against Preston North End in the third round of the FA Cup. Our Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey was there to witness it. So here at Stamford Bridge we've just witnessed pretty much a bog-standard FA Cup third round tie. But the one thing I think that really punctured the fairly flat early round Stamford Bridge atmosphere was Alfie Grillchrist, full debut for Chelsea. He's a youngster that a lot of fans have been talking a lot about uh, in the last few weeks. He's been publicly anointed by John Terry, no less, as one to watch. It's a lot of pressure for a 20-year-old, but he fared pretty well. In particular, he was 
the only person to come out of a pretty dour first half with any credit in the bank. And every time he did something well, he was isolated against Liam Miller a few times, um, 1v1, defended well from right back. And the crowd really got behind him every single time he made a positive contribution. You could hear Alfie Gilchrist, he's one of our own. Big roars, big cheers when his name was announced. And even when he was substituted, Mauricio Pochettino replaced one fan favourite with another, albeit opposite ends of the age spectrum with Thiago Silva coming on. And he managed to, to further bolster his legacy too. And you could see him after, after his goal at the full-time whistle going around patting his badge and... Uh, acknowledging the fans in the Matthew Harding end. Um, I remember a nice little friendly exchange with, with a groundsman as he was walking off the pitch. He's someone who's very clearly embraced Chelsea and everything about Chelsea. And I think that's what a lot of fans hope that someone like Alfie Gilchrist can, can grow into becoming. Obviously, if he can become half the player Thiago Silva has been for Chelsea, then that'll be quite an amazing development for him. Thanks, Liam. We'll have another Beyond the Frame for you soon, brought to you by Google Pixel. Now, when young England forward Jadon Sancho moved to Manchester United from Borussia Dortmund for a fee of more than £70 million in 2021, he was expected to light up the Premier League. Instead, two and a half years later, Sancho has been exiled from the club. He was having his meals delivered to him in a lunchbox due to a ban from the first-team canteen, and he's now been sent back to Dortmund on loan. Manchester writer Mark Critchley joins us to talk about that and to preview Sunday's big game against Spurs. Mark, you've contributed to a fantastic piece on The Athletic detailing where it all went wrong for Sancho at United. If he does well at Dortmund, is there any way back for him here, or does that kind of depend if Eric Ten Hag is in charge? Given the way that things have broken down between Jadon Sancho and Eric Ten Hag over the last uh, four or five months, given his refusal to to deliver the apology that Ten Hag has demanded, and and the fact that Ten Hag can't be seen to lose face in this kind of uh, in this standoff, if you like, um, that means that it's really difficult to see a way that Jadon Sancho ever plays for Manchester United again while Eric Ten Hag is still the manager. Now, I think when this whole thing kicked off back in September. There was absolutely no consideration that Eric Ten Hag wouldn't be the manager for for the long term at United for the foreseeable future. Um, but obviously things have changed over the last few months. You know, results have been poor. Um, he's come under pressure. There's uncertainty uh, around all aspects of, of life at Manchester United at the moment until we move into this new Ineos era, if you like. And um and yeah, Jaden Sancho's future in that regard is still one of them. Despite all that's happened, he could come back, he could come under a new manager and maybe there's a second life for him at Old Trafford yet. But at the moment, got to see how he does at Dortmund over these next six months first. So it spurs away on Sunday at Old Trafford. This is United's only Premier League game this month, interestingly. As soon as they're eighth in the table, I mean, a win will be really useful here, I guess, for both the club and for Ten Hag. This is a bit of a sparse month. Um, United, have, it feels like they've been playing every every three days for most of this season, but finally there's a bit of respite in the schedule. Um, over Christmas, it was a hectic period. Obviously, the win against Villa raised spirits, but then you were, that was kind of sandwiched in between defeats at West Ham and then at Nottingham Forest. And that's been the story of United season is inconsistency. From one week to the next, you don't know whether you're going to get an abject performance or some kind of thrilling comeback. In that respect, they beat Wigan in the FA Cup the other night. It was a nice routine victory, something that we've not been used to this season. But look, there's made no bones about it. It's, it's the Premier League where they need to be picking up points and wins. So Sunday's huge. You know, he's hoping to have players back. Um, he's got Luke Shaw 
Harry Maguire, maybe uh, Christian Eriksen as well. They've been missing recently, um, but it's been a long list of absentees, and those three back is still going to be still going to be a bench padded out with kids like it was against Wigan the other night. So um, it's a big game against a team that I think it's going to be a game that it'll be back and forth. Uh, Tottenham will come to play; that will suit United in some respects. But it's it's a game that they need to win because this, these inconsistent results they just can't go on for much longer. Cheers, Mark. That game takes place at 4.30pm on Sunday. That's 11.30am Eastern in the States. One of only five Premier League games this weekend, owing to half the league taking a cheeky winter break. The weekend kicks off with Burnley v Luton tonight. Then on Saturday, a West London derby as Fulham take on Chelsea before Newcastle against Manchester City later that day. And then Everton versus high-flying Aston Villa is on Sunday afternoon. Elsewhere, the Asian Cup starts on Friday afternoon with host Qatar kicking things off with a blockbuster class against Lebanon. And then the African Cup of Nations starts on Saturday night with Ivory Coast versus Guinea. Bissau. The Athletic Football Podcast previewed AFCON in full on Thursday's show and you can listen to that right now. That's all for today's Daily Transfer Briefing. I've been Tim Spears, your producer was Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. I'll be back with you on Monday. Until then, have a lovely weekend. The Athletic.